If you've heard it, today is week seven of our journey through 40 New Testament passages, and we're in the middle of a run of looking at, at these passages that bring us these perspectives on, on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and specifically, this thing called faith. We're looking at these collections of passages, and each of them both kind of breathes into what faith is, what faith isn't, and has a funny way of turning on its head the assumptions that I think you and I often bring to the table about this thing called faith. And the passage that they just read that we're going to be looking at today is a passage about children and dogs and what happens when Jesus insults you and what happens when God seems to give the last word and that word seems to be no and then the word after that. The passage today, it's found in two places, okay? It's found in Matthew chapter 15, it's also found in Mark chapter 7. And for those of you who geek out on this, I, I really want to encourage you to maybe open up and follow along. Maybe look at both. I'm going to be tracking with Matthew more than Mark. Make sure to have that one under your finger. But you might want to flip back and forth a little bit and look at some of the comparisons between each. We will be doing a bit of that here this morning. Now, let's do a story recap. It starts with Jesus going to this region called Tyre, in Sidon. Now, let me show you where that is. A few weeks ago, we were looking at Jesus traveling again when he traveled across a lake, and the storm came up, and he was traveling from Israelite country into Canaan territory, into Gentile land, into the deep, dark, spooky forest of the pagan world across the other side of the lake. Now, that area was called the Decapolis, and you can probably see it to the right of the blue dot, which is the Sea of Galilee, up at the top of that map. Are you with me? Okay, today it says that Jesus goes to this region called Tyre and Sidon. Now, do you see Tyre and Sidon on the map? Good, because it's not on there. Because they're so stinking far away that you can't even fit it on the map. Tyre and Sidon is like way the heck like up, you know, there somewhere. So Jesus is getting out of town. Now, why? We don't really know. He's just come off of an, uh, of an amazing yet grueling speaking, healing, preaching kind of tour. He's just healed 5,000 people or fed 5,000 people. He's just calmed storms. It may be that he's going for a little R&R because, let's face it, when the band's been on tour for a year, you need a break, right? It could be that his cousin, John the Baptist, well, was just beheaded. And remember, John is more than his cousin. John was the one who was leading the way behind or before Jesus. It could be that, that Jesus needed to just go and grieve. He needed to go and sort. Or it could be that the same message that John brought was the same message that Jesus was bringing, and they got themselves in the wrong place with the wrong people, and he needed to get out of Dodge. Because when you're wanted in the States, where do you flee? Canada, Right? And it could be that he's just laying low. We don't know, but if you look at Mark's version of the story, it says when he gets there, he tries to go and hide out in a house and remain unnoticed. Yeah, good luck with that, right? Because where Jesus is, he does not remain unnoticed. Strikes me even as true today. And while he's there, it says that a, according to Matthew, a Canaanite woman 
Canaan, the sworn enemy of Israel, a Canaanite woman comes to Jesus. Now, according to Mark, it says she's Greek from the region of Syrophoenicia. I'm glad those little kids didn't have to get that word on their tongues, right? This Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus. But what we know about this woman is that she is not Israel stock. I mean, let's face it, if the Israel border is kind of like ending right there, and even this is deep, dark, pagan country, what about up there, right? And this is where Jesus is at, and this woman comes. Now, immediately preceding the story in Matthew and in Mark, there is this amazing and yet controversial teaching of Jesus where he completely redefines this idea of what we call clean and unclean. And he shares with his disciples and the religious leaders of the day that that cleanliness and uncleanliness before God has nothing to do with the stuff of the world out here, what we touch, what we eat, what we, what we, what we take into ourselves that way that might be, quote, holy or profane, but that clean and unclean is something that's a condition of the heart. It's something in here, and he completely redefines it. And now he finds himself in Tyre and Sidon in an unclean area, where an unclean woman comes to him, and according to Mark's version, pleading for help because her daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit. Do you ever notice that God sometimes forces you to practice what you preach? The same was true for Jesus. And here he is, he's hiding in this house. He's trying to get away. He's trying to lay underground. He's trying to be unnoticed. And this woman comes after him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is in trouble. If you were Jesus, what would you do? I'd heal her. I mean, in fact, if I was Jesus, I would heal everyone. I would spend my days frolicking, yes, frolicking, from hospital to hospital, touching and breathing and doing all those kinds of things that bring healing to people. That's, that's, that's what I would be doing. But did you check out the exchange? Did you catch the dialogue between the woman and Jesus? This woman comes begging Jesus to heal her daughter, and what does Jesus do? He does not answer a word like she gets the cold shoulder, the brush off. You ever, you ever cry out to God, Lord, have mercy on me, my blank, and you feel like he just doesn't answer a word? Do you know what the only thing worse than that is? It's where this dialogue goes next. She keeps coming after him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It gets so bad that the disciples go, this, this woman is bugging us, Jesus. I mean, let's face it. You know, they've been on tour. It's time. Autograph signing is done, right? Send this woman away. So Jesus turns around. He looks at her. What does he say? I wasn't sent to you. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Is this woman from Israel? Is this woman an Israelite? No, Matthew and Mark have made that clear. I wasn't sent to you. I don't got time for you, lady. Back off. Ouch, right? The only thing worse than getting the cold shoulder from God is when God tells you, I ain't got time for you. Back off. Stop bothering. I mean, talk about getting a complex. You know, when even God thinks you're annoying. 
oh my gosh. But it doesn't stop there. But Lord, my daughter, she has an unclean spirit. You've got to help her. You've got to do it. To which Jesus responds and says this. I don't miss this, guys. In this equation, who are the children? Who are the dogs? Is this woman male or female? He calls this woman a female dog. Or at least implies it. Connect the dots. The only thing worse than getting the cold shoulder by Jesus is when Jesus tells you that you're annoying and he doesn't have time for you. And you know the only thing worse than that? When he curses you up and down and calls you things that your mom would wash out your mouth with. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could see the headlights, right? I mean, the PR nightmare that surrounds this. Oh my gosh, Jesus, how does this fit with your conception of Jesus? Now, I want you to look very closely at the account in Matthew because there's something that amazing that happens in the way that this woman responds that seems, I think, to defy what faith and seeking Jesus is all about and which the translation can mislead you if you're not careful. Now, if you're looking at Matthew's version, I'm going to guess. I think it's like verse 27. She comes back and she says something like this, right? Yes, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children under their table. In our house, that's a lot of crumbs, actually. She kind of does this, yes, Lord, but, and you almost kind of walk away with the sense of like, aha, I got you, right? You put me in my place. Oh, you know that woman, she was sly. She put Jesus in her place and he had egg on his face. You know, it's almost how it feels, doesn't it? Except that's not quite exactly true. I want you to look at that little word, but even, right? Whenever someone says but to you, you know you're going opposite, right? So in this kind of story, yes, Lord, this is true, but, right? But that's not what she says. Now, I want to teach you a word this morning. Here it is. Oh, that's not it at all. All right. Gar. That's how you pronounce it. Now, the first letter there is gamma, like in gamma radiation, as in the substance that turned Bruce Banner into the Incredible Hulk, okay? Guh, it makes the guh sound. The second letter you see is an alpha. It makes the ah sound. The third letter that you see, it looks like a P, and you would think that this is a gap. But to my knowledge, Jesus did not shop at the gap. It's a row. It's pronounced er. So the word is gar, like the fish, or a pirate. Um, Though to my knowledge, Jesus wasn't a fish or a pirate either. But it's pronounced gar. Say gar. No, you got to do it. Gar. I mean, we just got to do that, right? Gar appears 990 times. It's like Ferris Bueller. How many times? Nine times. No, it got nothing on it. 990 times gar appears in the New Testament. Do you know how many times it's translated but? right here in Matthew 15. You know what that should be a warning to everyone who knows a little bit of Greek? Yeah, it just doesn't fit with their conceptions. They're making stuff up, you know? (laughs) It doesn't mean that. It means things like this. For, certainly, indeed, because. Does that feel different than but? 
to you. It's as almost as if this woman comes to Jesus and says, yes, Lord, for even the dogs get the crumbs. Yes, Lord, because certainly it's true that dogs only get the crumbs. What's so amazing with this story is that this insult by the Christ to this Canaanite woman that gets us all like, you know, and we're going like, to take him to the church board or something like that, right? The woman agrees with him. You're right. I'm a dog. You're right. You weren't sent to me. I'm not a sheep. I'm not one of the people of Israel. You've got a mission and it's not about me. I get it. I'm with you. So hey, if there's some crumbs, I'll take those. Do you see the difference in tone and nuance between the true Because this woman knows something. Jesus has a mission, and that mission will not be dissuaded or abated. And yet, within the scope of that mission, there are crumbs, and those crumbs are better than anything that the world has to offer. She trusts him. She trusts him enough to banter with him. She trusts him enough to hold on and keep pushing. And she knows that the little bit that Jesus might just have to spare is worth more than anything else in this world. Because as the song goes, one day in your courts are better than thousands elsewhere. You know what that's called according to the Gospels? Faith. You know, I think about this this woman and this thing called faith. And you know what faith is? Faith is simultaneously living in the stream of God's will and yet pushing God to the implications of how it applies to you. Again, let me say that. Faith is living in the stream of God's will. And yet within God's will, pushing God to the implications of how that will applies to you. There's some people I know that spend their life stamping their feet, arguing before God, going, my way, my way, my way. God, you got to do it my way. I want what I want. Do what I want. It better be my way. And they're challenging and they're resisting and they're demanding that God's will change to suit themselves. They're demanding the final word. But there's no but here with the woman. She doesn't do that. Instead, it's, no, you're right. That's your will and I will bow to it. You're right. She bows to God's truth. There's others, though, that believe because what they perceive as God's final word, they give up. I know know so many believers who hide under the pious guise of, well, it was just the Lord's will, to stop fighting before the throne and approaching him with confidence, saying, Lord, I want crumbs. You have a will, but I want 
crumbs, and they go away resigned and dejected and sad and defeated. But did you notice that the woman does not do that either? She bows to God's will, and yet within that, she finds room to keep coming back to Jesus, even when he's silent, even when he tells her to go away, even when he insults her. Do you know what that's called, guys? Faith. Faith. She holds on to Jesus and keeps pushing and pushing to how the implications of his mission and will apply to her. Faith is living in the stream of God's will and pushing for the implications of how that will applies to you. What happens when you pray and God brushes you off or seems to give you the final word and that word is no? Are you one of those people that stomp your feet and fret and get angry? Do you demand that, that God bend his will to you? What does it mean for you today? Those of you to who I'm speaking of right now who do this, what does it mean for you to submit yourself to God's will even if you don't like it? Now, to the others of you in this room who give up, who've stopped fighting, who've stopped seeking and stopped searching, who went, oh, okay, and you just kind of walked away. What does it mean for you to be like this woman and to keep coming before his throne with courage and confidence, seeking the crumbs of God? Because I got news for you guys. It ain't over until you're dead. And in Jesus, I'm not even sure it's over then. What does it mean for you to continue to come going, Lord, you have a will, and you're right. You're right. What I'm asking for you is not according to your will. And maybe, God, what you're looking to do is different than what I want. But, Lord, I want a crumb because I know that your crumb, a crumb from your table, is better than the most lavish feast that this world or life or the universe can give me. Living in those two streams is what the gospel writer tells us is this thing called faith. I, I want to introduce you to someone this morning. Throughout um, the past several weeks, there have been many people engaged in the, this, this New Testament reading challenge, and hearing God's story and seeing God's story interface with their own story, this woman in particular that I'm going to invite forward actually in many ways, and she doesn't realize, kick-started and catalyzed this stream of what we're doing here at Fellowship of Faith. It was a couple of months ago, and she sent me an email. And it was an email where she was just describing, through a lot of medical condition that she had, some things that God were teaching her in her life. And I was blown away by it. And I'm like, people need to hear this. So she's come to share with... Um, you today. I want to introduce you to Linda Marsh. And Linda, would you come on forward, please? Please give her a hand. Good morning. Um, some of you know that last April I had back surgery, 
but what you probably don't know is that it was my 16th surgery over my life. And uh, some of the more memorable ones have been two knee replacements, a right shoulder replacement. I've had a bout with cancer. And this last surgery was actually my fourth back surgery. And the second time they put rods and screws in me. And to say that um, it has left my back unstable would be an understatement. And at any given moment, on every given day, I can feel good or feel bad. I have absolutely no control over it. And I have a lot of restrictions. And I was told on my first return visit for post-op x-rays that I'll be facing more surgeries. So I have tried, with the help of God and his word, to refrain and reframe my pessimism that I have about, you know, what my future looks like. And so we started this series with Romans 12.1, which talked about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I claimed Romans 12.1 and 2 as my life first many years ago. And over the years, God has shared with me um, different parts of my character that he's working on. But this time, when I dwelled on it for a full week, I heard him clearly say to me, give me your brokenness. And I went, hmm, okay. Give me your brokenness. And I thought, okay. And then I went on my merry way. A couple weeks later, we were in the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the challenges in the digging, digging Deeper sheets was to take a portion that resonated with us and rework it to speak to us. And I told the part, I took the part that said, be anxious, that whole section, and I reworked it. And again, I heard, Linda, give me your brokenness. And I thought I had, but I guess I haven't. And so um, my hope is that God is beating me over the head with this message, and he's going to keep beating me over the head until I get it. Uh, so, but also I hadn't really clicked into this until Dave's message today. I didn't hear, give me yourself, give me your brokenness, and I will heal you. I didn't hear that. I just heard, give me your brokenness. And maybe that's why it's so hard for me to have complete and total surrender, because I want that promise. That's not what he said to me. And then somewhere along the line, I was reading a devotional by Max Lucado, and I read this statement which said, human character sometimes needs a lot of suffering before it can be changed into a blessing for the world. And so I guess that's what God's doing in me. So thank you. <laughs>